Welcome to Creative Sangha's In Conversation. Today's special guest is none other than Krishna Dharma, author of my favorite childhood bedtime stories. In the world's most popular editions of India's greatest epics, the Ramayana, India's immortal tale of adventure, love, and wisdom, and the Mahabharata, the greatest spiritual epic of all time, published in 1998 and 1999, respectively. He is also the father of three, my friends Madhva, Radhika, and Janaki, a senior member of our Bhakti Yoga community, and I feel so, so incredibly honored to be asking him some questions today. So without further ado, take it away. I started out reading the Mahabharata in sort of the original, translated, but very stilted English. But I liked it so much because I'm really into poetry and old English poetry, that sort of right. thing. And I loved it. Um, but I thought, well, you know, most people can't read this. I, I'd like to present it in a way that is going to be accessible to everyone. Which, uh, which Mahabharata did you read? Was it Ganguly's? Or? I, I, yeah, not, first of all I read one by Dutt, Manmath Dutt, I think his name is. Okay. Um, and and he, it had the old English? Yeah, like it's still, the, yeah, it wasn't quite as archaic as Ganguly, right. uh, whom, whom I also read. Um, he follows Ganguly, but his English was a, bit, a little bit easier to read. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, and big sort of five volume uh, set and um, yeah I read that and, and I was just like so amazed and enthused that I, I, I felt I had to share it, I had to write it. 100%, that's, yeah. that's so amazing. I'm just wondering a little bit about your background as well, did you um, study writing at university or anything like um, that? No, I didn't exactly. I was I was in the merchant navy uh, just no before way. I joined the movement. Wow. So I didn't do an awful lot of writing. I mean, some you know logbooks and things like that. I always enjoyed so did it. Did you have, have to go to war and stuff? Or? No, no, merchant navy. It's not uh, armed forces. Okay. So okay. carrying cargoes, okay. oil tankers, you know, different things like that. Because I know that Token, he uh, he experienced a lot of heavy things during the Second World War, and he put a lot of that into the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So I was wondering if. Oh no no no! <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully no, I, I didn't have to see any action as such. Okay. But uh, no, but as far as my background of writing. Um, I studied it certainly, but uh, on your own terms, or yeah, I, I did courses, mostly um, distance learning, and um, you know, I, I did go to uh, one or two seminars and things like that. But I did a lot of correspondence courses. I read a lot of books on it. Mm. You know, I, I, I really made a an effort to study it and get it right. <laughs> wow! Like I did a little course on creative writing and. You know, I, I spent days writing this little uh, fiction piece, yeah. which I sent to my teacher yeah. or, or tutor. And she was like, okay, can you not make it so philosophical? Can you make it a little bit? So yeah. like, even though I put so much energy into it, it had to be redrafted and yeah. then re redone over and over again. Yeah, well, re so that's right. Yeah. It seems like it, it's an enjoyable process, but it can be writing means yeah work, writing means rewriting you know it means revision and you, you know if you don't enjoy doing that then you, you better find something else to do and, because and you definitely <laughs> enjoy that right? i love it yeah i mean i i just love it and um the thing about writing is you've got to keep doing it as well because if you don't you go rusty real quick mm. uh and you've got to read as well this is one of the problems that finding the time you know you have to read a lot of books and keep yourself um 
apprised of you know current styles because they change. Right. You know, right. writing styles change. If you read like Jane Austen or something, you know, Charles Dickens, no one reads that kind of thing now <laughs> unless they're forced to at college or something. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's they different. They might be more now. familiar with the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Harry Potter and you know whatever's going on now. That kind of thing, you know. <laughs> I was I was never a big reader actually until I read the Harry Potter, because really, yeah. um, my mother had to have surgery, right. and we I had to live in a hospital for a month. Oh yeah. And I was like, how am I gonna go through that experience? Like, uh, my friends won't be there, nothing mm, like that. Right. So I just took all six Harry Potter books and read them in one month. <laughs> well done. And, and that's where my love for reading came about. Oh, that's think, great. Yeah. So yeah, that's good because. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I read a bit of Harry Potter. I was never a huge fan, but my kids loved it. They, you know, they devoured all of them, you know, and my wife. <laughs> There's a guilty secret. <laughs> I think she read a couple of them at least, you know. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's great that, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling has done that kind of service to, to um, literature, inspiring mm. people to actually read books, you know. For sure. Because they don't, do they, these days, you know. My my generation are, are not into reading, but we'll we'll get about that in a moment. Um, I'm wondering, like when I was reading the Harry Potter, like even though I lived in in Mayapur, which is a beautiful place, I didn't always like my surroundings. You know, mm. there was a lot of challenges. There was a lot of people getting sick, and so to me, immersing myself in a different reality was always so super amazing, and I I could experience a sense of happiness in that. And uh, what I'm wondering is, you know, Harry Potter's nice, it's a fictional book, but wouldn't it be nice for people to get to read actual history, actual mm. things that happened, mm. which are, you know, even more exciting than Harry Potter. Exactly, No, no yeah. offense to the fans, I'm a huge yeah. fan. Yeah. But uh, I would love people to read the Mahabharata, which you've spent so much time on. Could you you know, give them a little inspiration to, to read it. Sure. Why should they read it? Well, actually, you're right. It's it's not uh, it's not fiction. It, it's not mythology. Mm. It's history. In fact, the word Mahabharata means the greater earth, and it, it basically means the history of the greater earth, and that means the entire earth planet, basically. And it even goes beyond that, <laughs> a bit, you know, to um, other realms that we're not so familiar with these yeah. days. Um, but it's very wonderful. I mean, it, it contains all the elements of a, of a modern novel. Um, in fact, the, the Mahabharata itself uh, says that whatever you'll find elsewhere, you'll find in the Mahabharata. And if it's not in the Mahabharata, you won't find it anywhere else. Mm. You know, so the, the, the classic storyline of conflict, of hero, protagonist, and, you know, uh, the... Uh, um, the, the, the uh, anti-hero, you know, all, all the different archetypes are there, the different characters, uh, and uh, it's, it, it just unfolds. It's like, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, but for me it has much more depth and substance because it carries a spiritual message as well. Yeah. It isn't just a story. It's, it's relevant for our it's, situation. Yeah, it's, it's instructive, because as you know, it's got the Bhagavad Gita in there as, uh, as one of the chapters, and, and that's um, probably one of the most important spiritual treaties ever ever um, compiled and written. You know, so that it really it really focuses on that. The whole Mahabharat kind of culminates in that. That the story is sort of building up to that, uh, which is a very profound spiritual instruction to help us navigate through the difficulties of life. You yeah. know, 
because the characters in the Mahabharata are doing that all the time. They're facing all kinds of challenges and challenges that we may never yeah. have to deal with. We may not. Yeah. So great. Yeah, huge challenges. Yeah, but we of course have our own challenges, which to us are huge as well. Yeah. You know, you may not be like Arjuna. You know, having to kill your your beloved teacher and you know, yeah. your, your your relatives and things. But uh, yeah, so the Mahabharata is like um, a manual, and the Bhagavad Gita a manual for dealing with life, as well as being an, an astounding story. Yeah. So, yeah. One thing I was wondering, um, we hear how all of the Vedas are contained within the Mahabharata, at least the essential teachings. Mm. I'm wondering if that's only true to the full version of the Mahabharata, the 100,000 verses, or can all of those teachings be found in your abridged version as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, in my abridged version, <laughs> I, I think you know they're, they're there in the Bhagavad Gita mm. because that's a very succinct presentation of spiritual truths. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think all the essence of the Vedas is definitely there in the Gita. But I, I kind of compressed that in my book as well, although I did try to retain the key messages. So I, I'd say, yes, the key messages of the Vedas, the essential messages of the Vedas, they can be boiled down to a very small content, like um, the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, is another famous literature, which I'm currently working on as well. Yeah. Um, and that can be, you know, that, that's actually... 12 cantos, it's a very large work, but it can be reduced down to four verses. You know, just four verses contain the essential message of the entire work. Wow. So, you know, it's... Um, it's incredible. Yeah, how much you can compress it. They're called sutras in Sanskrit. Right, they're, they're yeah. Com compressing, you know, uh, containing a lot of knowledge in a small amount of words, you mm. know. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Wow. Um, so let's let's pull out the actual book over here. Yeah. So we've got uh, for everyone watching, we've got the Mahabharata here. Um, what is it said? Retold by Krishna Dharma. Yes. So uh, when I look at this book, which is, let's see how many pages we have here. Well, that's about nine hundred and something. Nine hundred and something pages. <laughs> it can seem a little bit daunting, especially for my generation who who don't read so much. Do you have an audio version? Of there this? is. There's an audio version of this. Um, and yeah, all my books are gradually, we're working through them. Ramayana's available, other books are available. But yeah, the Mahabharata is 45 hours of audio. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I Definitely for me, um, because I grew up in a, in a Gurukul system in India, yeah. we always heard more than we read, mm. uh, trying to keep in, in, in touch with what you know, they did in previous ages. Yeah. So we, um, Bhaktivedya Purnaswami would read to us the Ganguli Mahabharata. Right. And when I wanted to go through it again, even though I have a hard copy, it just kind of sat in my shelf and collected dust for mm. many years mm -hmm. until I found the audiobook version. Mm. Um, so I was lucky to, to go through the entire Ramayana just in time for Ram's birthday. Oh, yeah. And now I'm halfway through the Mahabharata. Great. Uh, and it's, it's just great because I do a lot of driving. Yeah. So just turn that on, even if there's traffic on the way to Luton, yeah. there's a car accident, you have to wait for half an hour. I actually feel excited about that accident because <laughs> now I get to hear the Mahabharata. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that process and why you decided to make an, an audio um, Yeah, okay, well the Mahabharata uh, was the first one we thought, okay, let's do this as an audio because I know that it's the big thing now and, you know, as you say, a lot, a lot of people don't have time to read and 
you know, pick up a big book like that and you can't carry it with you on your way to work or something, can you? Or to the yeah. beach, you know, it's a huge book. It's not going to work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, there is a Kindle version. There's a Kindle, yeah, there's a Kindle version, of course. Yeah, yeah you can always read that. But uh, yeah, but audio is also, you know, even better because, as you say, you can do other things. You can drive, you can mm -hmm. commute, you know, and work, you know, cook and whatever. Um, but we started doing it. My wife actually started to record it. Um, and uh, she was doing a pretty good job. <laughs> She's very good. But then uh, all of a sudden, one day I was just browsing um, the internet, looking for, you know, pirated copies of my books, which I do from time to time because <laughs> they are out there. <laughs> to okay. see if I can find. And I found my Mahabharat fully recorded on YouTube, you know, to that's, my that's amazement. Incredible. Someone oh had done goodness. it. Someone had undertaken this. Someone just took the Mahabharat, recorded it. The whole it thing YouTube. and put it on YouTube. Wow. So I managed to track down the person, and <laughs> and it turned out to be not so bad, right? It was it's, not so bad. No, the, that's right. It's yeah, the current, it, it's um, the one we're version. using. Yeah, yeah. I contacted that person and made an arrangement with him, and and now we're using that. Yeah, so that's pretty amazing. But uh, it sh it shocked me at first. I thought that sounds very familiar. Well, that's mine. You know, it's <laughs> Mahabharata. You know? Did it say Mahabharata? It Krishna did say Dharma? Krishna Dharma. Okay. Yeah, but when I first heard it, I just heard it. You know, <laughs> and then I looked at it and I realized, yeah, it is mine. So wow, that's that's really incredible. But since but it, it led to, to something. Yeah, but since yeah. then, um, I recorded the Ramayana myself. Yeah, let's let's bring uh, out the book over here. And um, so that was got the uh, Ramayana here for the, a shiny for the cover. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell us, uh, tell us the difference between the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. Um, okay. Like if, if someone wants to start off with one of these books, which one should they read first? And, and sure. Why? Well, uh, to, to be honest, I wrote the Ramayana first because uh, okay. I read that first. I read the Gita Press edition, you know, three big, thick books. Um, and I, I can't remember what, why I read it. I just came across them somewhere and I thought, oh, let me read it. Um, but then again, same thing, you know, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Let me try and write that and, and present it as a, as a novel. Um, and the Ramayana is, is really very devotional. It's focused entirely upon the central character of Ram, mm. a divine incarnation. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 the Mahabharata contains a lot more peripheral stories, um, intrigue and, you know, romance. Yeah, uh, conflict. And, I think that's you why know. I find the Mahabharata a little bit more relatable. Yes, for most and, people it will yeah, be. And yeah, I mean, I, I actually love the cartoon Ramayana, right. uh, which was made between uh, Japan and India. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it never got published, but somehow we, know, we have it. We have and copies, yeah. Yeah, we're able to watch it. Yeah. So I, I grew up watching that. Yeah. Uh, I probably watched it maybe 200 times. <laughs> I, I yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. And um, when I when I heard the audiobook version uh, of, of your Ramayan, yeah. um, I was I was quite intrigued to, to the differences between the cartoon and the book. And I thought it was actually quite a heavy story. Like, yeah. it's yeah. not just a nice story that you read and, and go to sleep. Like, mm, no. yeah, you're actually get really involved and start to cry. And you're like, why is this happening? Like, <laughs> yeah. I found it quite intense. It's full of grief. The Ramayana, <laughs> that, that's its mood. The, the mood of the Ramayana is, is, is actually grief-laden. Right. You know, from kind of beginning to end, Ram being exiled, him losing his wife, you know. Which is what makes it a great story. Yeah, and then characters dying, that, you know, that kind of thing. So, it's, yeah, it's a great story. Um, it came out of that. I, I write that little um, story in there about how, uh, in the very beginning, the author, Valmiki, the great sage, um, 
you know, was struck with grief when he saw a bird being killed by a hunter and he uttered something in a certain meter, a poetic meter, um, which was grief laden. And then Lord Brahma came to him and said, you should write the Ramayana in this meter, wow. you know, to convey that mood. You know. so, so I've tried to capture that mood. Lord <laughs> Brahma is almost you know. like the, the publisher. He's like, I like that turn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I commissioned you. <laughs> he commissioned him. Yeah. Well, that's, that's inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, Maybe could... one day Brahma will appear <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and well, I think you know, Krishna in the heart is inspiring us to mm. to do things. So yeah, yeah. So how long did it take for you? To, to do the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, if you don't mind me asking. Um, yeah, I think, well, the, Maha, the, the Ramayana, I forget, I think about a year. I mean, I was reading it before so that. That's pretty good. Actually writing it, but I, I'd, I'd read it for maybe two, three years before that, as I did with the Mahabharata. Um, and then actually writing it and editing a couple of years, I think the Mahabharata took in the end. Wow. So, it's, but, it's also a lot longer, isn't it? It's a lot longer than what I've written, you mean? No, I mean, the Mahabharata is longer than... Oh, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, much, it's twice as long, yeah, as, right. as the Ramayana, yeah. But... Uh, I just, what, what comes to mind, um, I forget the author, maybe you can remind me, the author of the Da Vinci Code? Uh, yeah. Anyway. I've forgotten his name. Doesn't matter. I was just hearing him the other day oh, yeah? talking about how, how to write. Dan yeah. Brown. Dan, Dan Brown. Brown, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Dan Brown. <laughs> I, was, I was watching an interview with him yeah. maybe last year. Yeah. And he was talking about, which I found really interesting in accordance with some of the spiritual practices that we have yeah. from the Gita. He wakes up at one in the morning mm. every day when he's writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, take a bath, maybe do a little exercise. Yeah. And he feels that that's the best time to write because it's kind of, you know, the mode of yeah. goodness. Yeah. There's no yeah. phone calls, no emails, no texts right. coming in, right, family right. disturbing. Yeah. And he does his writing until breakfast yeah. and then he gets on with life. I'm wondering if, if you had a similar approach or... Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what I did for the uh, Mahabharata and the Ramayana. It, it was because uh, my kids were young. I, I wrote them in ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. Was that in Manchester, by the way? I was in Manchester, yeah, running a little centre there, and um, so I'd have to do it then before the, the kids woke up and went, you know had to get them ready to go to school, make breakfast, and all that stuff, and then run them to school, and and then my other services would kick in, other things I was doing. Um, so it was like that. I'd kind of get up at three and sit down and write wow. in, in peace and quiet whilst no one else was up. Just, just a question for, um, I think it's suitable for everyone, but especially for my generation, where we see uh, a list of tasks to do. Mm. Uh, right These days we have these apps mm. and we just put everything in. Yeah. And sometimes we get a little bit bewildered and stressed and we're like, oh, how am I going to do all of this? But... It's nothing compared to, to what you did. I mean, running a center in Manchester for, yeah. for spirituality, three kids, uh, writing your book. I'm not sure if you had a full-time job. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, then I was, an, I was a temple president. Right. So that, an ISKCON director kind of, and the national secretary of the UK. Well, <laughs> so I had a lot so on, yeah. How did you not get, like... Um, Sort of the same feeling that Arjuna had when when he had to face his family. He just uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Bewildered, Bewildered confused. Yeah, yeah, confused. Like how yeah. am I going to do all of this? Yeah. yeah. How does that? I think. Um, I mean, I did go through those sorts of times, <laughs> uh, and then but then you realize, you know, you have to. 
focus on mission. You know, you have to be mission driven. You have to understand, you know, what do I really want to do? What's the best contribution I can make? Um, and, and I don't know if you've heard this analogy, but um, if, if you've got a jar and you've got like a bunch of rocks, a bunch of pebbles, a bunch of sand and some water, um, and you know, you, you want to put them in the jar. So if you put in the water first, you're not going to get anything else in. Right. You know, if you put in the pebbles or the sand, you're not, you'll never get the rocks in. So the rocks represent the most important things that you're trying to accomplish with your life. So you put those in the jar first. And then... That's the things that you would do first. That, yeah, so you, you first have to, you have to do some inner work. And, you know, what do I really want to do? Who yeah. am I? You know, not who am I spiritually, but, you know, materially speaking, what is my... What's my nature? My nature, my yeah. bhava, you know. So those... and. Other very important things may be there. You may have a family, you know. So, so you have to prioritize uh, your relationships, your family, your spiritual life is at the top, and then, you know, other things coming after that, your health. So these are the rocks. And then your mission, that's a rock. So they all go into the jar. And then less important things uh, can be done after that. But if you, if you don't have that focus, if you don't have that mission, then you'll get caught up in the thick of thin things. This, I, I read this book by a person called Stephen Covey. Okay. And, and he had this yeah. saying, you know, don't get caught up in the thick of thin things. He things that aren't that important. Habits. Seven Habits of, of yeah. Highly Effective People, yeah. Mm. Which I found a very useful book, actually. Yeah. Um, Mukunda Maharaj gave me a copy of it once. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was friendly with him for some time. And, uh, yeah. and one day he came in and said, here, read this. I think you'll find it helpful. <laughs> and I did. It was good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah, so it's, it's about focusing. You that's know. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if we prioritize, prioritize things, then yeah. uh, we'll be able to get things done. Uh, and, uh, if, yeah. we, if we have a goal, but we're not fixed upon it, we may yeah. just spend the, the whole day on Instagram. You get splayed out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You can just get, yeah. That's, uh, that's what happens. <laughs> Even myself. It's so easy, <laughs> especially now. There's so many distractions. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a real problem. Fully agree. Yeah. Um, what should we talk about next? Well, I, I had a question. You mentioned a, a word. Uh, we were talking about understanding our nature and our purpose in life. Yeah. You mentioned a word, bhava. Yeah. Understanding our bhava. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, swabhava is my specific um, inclination, my, my particular nature. Because what often happens in life is we get sucked into other people's priorities. Quite often, your parents, you should be something you know, make something of your life, be a lawyer, be a whatever. Uh, and, and you kind of go down that path, but it's not really you, you know, it's at the end of the day, you, you would rather be a gardener, you know, or an artist, yeah. <laughs> but that's not going to be encouraged. You know, you're not going to make any money out of that. You know, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, so, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote that resonates with that. It, it goes something like, if you don't use your time to do the things that, that you want to achieve in life, yeah. then someone else will use your time to yeah. achieve their things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Other people's priorities. So, yeah. Um, so, so you, yeah, you have to avoid that. And Did you ever have that conflict of interest where perhaps your service authorities or your, your boss at work wanted you to head a, a direct, you know, a certain yeah. way, but then you were quite adamant to, to stick with what you wanted? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, it was later in my life that I really made that connection. Um, you know, I, I'm always trying to tell my children, like, do it now, you know, do that inner work now, you know, connect to the inner yes what you really want to do. Um, but I think I was 40-something when I finally got to that point. And then I resigned my temple presidency 
I resigned as the National Secretary of, of the UK and ISCON Director. All those things were kind of peripheral to what I really wanted to do, which was mainly write and present, you know. Would you have wished that you would have done that earlier or you're, you have no regrets? I don't have massive regrets. I mean, I, I think I would have done things differently had I made that connection earlier. Yeah, right. I, I definitely would have done things differently. Um, but what I was doing was I, I was, I mean, my, you know, I'm coming from a very kind of mixed up background. And so I was very confused and bewildered for a large part of my life. And then I became a devotee and things began to clear up the fog, you know, cleared up a bit as I should, should we meditated, go a you know. Into that? Like, what was it that attracted you to the devotees? What does a devotee even mean? To me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my attraction, so I, I, was, I, lived, I was brought up in London, so I saw mm. devotees from a young age, but I yeah. was not particularly the, attracted the to them. People chanting. Yeah. Up and down the, and Oxford Street, yeah, yeah. but I was always like, whoa, across the road, you know, <laughs> these guys look totally weird, you know, so yeah. I, I couldn't really get into it, but I, you know. <laughs> I was a bit too straight. <laughs> to this day, I'm, I'm also very <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, honestly, yeah, yeah. No, no. I love them. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you've got to love them. But once you get to know them, yeah. you know, that, overcoming that barrier. But there, there is the a robes, barrier. There is a yeah, there is a barrier. The hair, <laughs> the haircut, the robes, and everything, and, and the, you know, now I'm wearing it, the tea like. But it, it did kind of shock me a bit when I was young. Um, but as I got older, I, I mean, what actually happened? To cut a long story short is that um, I'd, I'd left the Merchant Navy kind of, I, I wasn't going to sea, I'd, and I, I was kind of living in the Greek islands actually with my girlfriend oh, no. on Crete, you know, it's like the same, similar to Ravnath Maharaj, <laughs> same place I think, Matala on the south side of the oh, island. Yeah. And <laughs> That's a beautiful but place. It's well. beautiful there, yeah, yeah. after I think he'd left by then. I, but I hung out there for a while and then, uh, you know, I, I began to think I really need to do something spiritual with my life, you know, I, I realized there was something more than you know, just this body and and whatever. So um, so I, I left there and with, with my girlfriend we came back to the UK and we were just hitchhiking. Um, and I remember this van. He pulled up. Um, it said on it Eastern Arts and Crafts. And <laughs> we were stood on the side of the road down by Plymouth in the pouring rain for ages and ages. No one would stop. And then this van pulled up. And he said. Um, you know, where do you want to go? And I, I said, well, I, I'm looking for a spiritual community. <laughs> and I don't know where that is. And he said, well, jump in. Maybe I can help. And he was actually a Prabhupada disciple. No way. <laughs> do you remember his name? Heitu. Heitu, wow. Heitu, that's, yeah. That's incredible. A, a German do, really. you, do you believe in things happening by chance, or do you think that was, that was meant to happen? Oh, that was definitely meant to happen, yeah. I, I mean, now looking back on how things kind of brought me to that point, Yeah. Um, I see that it, there was something some higher power, uh, you know, engineering the whole thing, you know, That's because incredible. he basically wow. he brought me to the manor, you know, <laughs> yeah. straight to the manor. We're, we're recording this at Back to Vedanta Manor. Back to Vedanta Manor, yeah. yeah. And, and so I, um, and then, you know, I, I kind of met devotees, uh, these people whom I knew they were very spiritual, but I was kind of scared of them because um, <laughs> I knew what the principles they followed and everything. And, yeah. You know, but... Um, but once they, you know, I started talking to them and, and everything, I, it just overcame all my inhibitions. So did you, you know. get to meet uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada? No, I came in 79. 79, okay. So he'd, he had, right. um, he'd left by then. And, uh, I always feel like that's a rough time to join because Prabhupada yeah. was just there a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, really, that's right. Uh, but his presence was still, 
felt powerfully felt yeah it was it was pervading and permeating everything what, what was what's that experience like that experience for me i mean yeah. Prabhupada was the one who really attracted me powerfully attracted me you know from the beginning his book you know when i got into the van with hetu uh, prabhu i had the bhagavad gita on his dashboard and you know, he said, why don't you read that to me while, while he was driving? So I picked it up and I began to read the verses. No, never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kids. And I was like, they, they were just going off like bombs in my head, you know, one verse after another, you know. Because <laughs> up until then, I'd read all this other stuff, Carlos Castaneda and, you know, Lob Sang Ramper. And yeah. it just fills your head with whole, all, all kinds of <clears throat> confusions and, you know. But then Prabhupada was like cutting through that, pow, pow. I was like, what is this? You know, this is incredible. You know, one. Wow. Um, so it really impressed me. And then I, I got to the manor and I started listening to Prabhupada's lectures. And mm -hmm. so it was he that really drew me in, wow. you know, it's, even though he We left. say that it's the person, not, not yeah. the thing itself that, that draws yeah. you. Yeah. What I'm wondering at this point is, can we get the same message of the Bhagavad Gita no matter who wrote it? Or is there something special about Prabhupada's Gita? I think there's a danger with the Bhagavad Gita of people using it um, to espouse their own cause. Mm. I mean, Prabhupada himself actually tells us how Gandhi tried to present uh, non-violence based on the Gita, right. you know, to interpret it in that kind of way, which it's very odd, isn't it? Because I mean, Bhagavad Gita is spoken on a battlefield to a warrior. You know, Krishna's right. saying, "Fight!" You know, so for the sake of fighting. You know, <laughs> so how he managed that? And then he said that another doctor gave a, a, a version of it, and this was, you know, he's saying that the whole Bhagavad Gita is a, a, a discussion between a doctor and his patient. You know, <laughs> right? He just took his own. Somehow or another, you know, just right. projected that onto the Gita. So, you know, that that, and, and then of course the more insidious. Um, presentations of spiritual, so-called spiritual persons who um, distort the message of the Gita. Right, you know, that, right. that happens actually. So, I mean, personally, for me, uh, when I first read the Gita, like through and through, I think I was fourteen. Yeah. And uh, it didn't make any sense to me. It was actually a, a massive struggle to read it. It took me two years to read right, it because right. uh, I, I just. Yeah, I found it very philosophical, and at that age, you just want to play and uh, yeah. you know have fun. Yeah. So I found it difficult, uh, and then it wasn't until I read some other versions of the Gita by Prabhupada's disciples. Mm. Uh, I, I read uh, Rancho Primes, mm. uh, talks between the, the yeah. soul and God. Yeah, uh, I read a comprehensive guide to the Bhagavad Gita by uh, Hridayananda Goswami. Yeah, yeah. Um, Garuda. Yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a few other yeah. versions that yeah. are in line with Prabhupada's teachings yeah. that make it a little bit more digestible mm. for... Um, and then, then I went back to Prabhupada's Gita and I was like, oh, that's what Prabhupada was talking about. Now, having understood different perspectives right. Right. and different, um, yeah, different outlooks uh, mm. of, uh, of the Gita. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, Gita can be a little difficult, you know, for some people to read. I, I mean, yeah. especially someone getting it cold and not familiar with the concepts and, um, you know, the whole kind of philosophy that it's presenting is is very um, difficult for people to get into initially. Yeah. I, th I find one thing that really does help, even as devotees, you know, a lot of devotees find it difficult to pick up Prabhupada's books and read them. Yeah. Um, but when we discuss them together, one thing that really does help, I find, 
um, is discussing them together, sitting down, reading a passage, um, and then saying what you understand it to be saying, uh, and you know, doing that with someone else, getting them to reflect that back, and then they do that, uh, and then discussing, does that make sense to me? You know, do I have any doubts or confusions? Why is Prabhupada saying that? Why is, you know, what does he want me to do uh, as a result of reading this? You know? right, right. So what's its meaning to me? You know, obviously Prabhupada's writing his books with something in mind. So to try and get to that. And so it becomes transformational. Because the whole idea of those books is to transform us. Mm. You know? It's not just the book to read. We have to reflect on it, yeah. try to apply it into yeah. our lives, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something that your wife is actually quite big on, isn't she it? She does that, yeah. She does seminars. She's, she's actually um, made a few, you know, quite a few different um, seminars and talks and a website, in fact, which... Uh, what's, what's the website called just for our audience? It, yeah, it's um, improvingsanga.wordpress.com. So... Um, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone wants to, you know, uh, uh, go there and they can't find it, just contact me. You can contact me through my yeah. website, krishnadharma.com. The, <laughs> the word sangha is, is quite interesting yes. in, in that website because yes. my understanding of spirituality and, and actually material life as well is that association, who you hang out with, is the most important thing in life, right? Yeah, yeah. I would, like, I'm a music teacher and I always tell my students, yeah. if you want to be good at harmonium, hang out or listen to good harmonium players. Yeah. If you want to be a football player, hang out with football players. Exactly. If you want to be happy, hang out with spiritualists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, those that understand yeah. what happiness is actually all about and yeah. being fulfilled. It's a very important, yeah, it's, association is key to everything. I mean, if you hang out with, uh, you know, bad people, then you'll become bad. It's, in, the, in the Mahabharata, it says that even wet grass burns with dry grass when there's a fire. You know, so wow. even if you're innately not a bad person, if you're hanging out with those kinds of people... That's, that's a heavy statement. It'll carry you away, yeah. That's right. Wow. So do you think um, by reading these different books that you've uh, kindly reiterated, we can as associate directly with people like Yudhisthira Maharaj, Arjuna, and gain some of their qualities? Absolutely. That, that's the whole point, yeah. You can associate with great sages, you know, great devotees, kings, emperors, gods, you know, God himself, you know, it's, they're all there. <laughs> it's so amazing how you've written the, the Mahabharata because I, I really get immersed into the story. Mm. Especially because I like film and, and mm. I like to yeah. watch different movies and, and become that character to some degree. Yeah. So sometimes I'll even feel the same anger that Bhima has and I'll be like, no, no, calm down. <laughs> but then when Narada Muni speaks and, and then he's got yeah. his certain wisdom, then I'm like, yeah. oh yes, I need to yeah. you know, behave in a certain way. Focus on that, yeah. So I, I wanted to change the, the conversation a little bit now just, just for parents out there that might be watching this. Right. Um, you've obviously spent so much time with the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, and you've raised your kids in a certain way. Mm. How much influence from these books and these, the, the, the culture and the philosophy of the Vedas has, has gone into raising your kids? Well, I think we tried our best to apply the values, the principles, um, the philosophy espoused in these books. Mm. Um, and from a young age, of course, as Madhva said, you know, I was reading to them yeah. the stories uh, and, you know, inculcating the, you know, the, the profound morality, the, the very, uh, you know, when they went to school, 
um, the teachers always said, they said a lot of good things about them actually, they said, your kids have a very clear sense of right and wrong. <laughs> you know, and, and, it's, and they were saying it's good, you know, yeah. And, wow. and also, you know, they're, they're um, you know, one teacher said that, uh, I always thought the Krishna people were a bit weird, but after I've been with your kids, says, I, I, it's completely changed my opinion. Is just just by seeing them, you know, just your children are so, so normal and nice, and yet at the same time they've got this moral sense, you know, so wow. it's kind of like, That's incredible. we did try and do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to retain that as you, as you go through adolescence and everything, you know, they yeah, sure. face the challenges that everyone faces, I, but, you know. <laughs> I think personally, like for me, one of the reasons why I think I'm still practicing spirituality is because um, my mother, she never pushed anything on me. She never forced me to do anything. Yeah. And she kind of like just presented it on a plate mm. and it, it was my choice. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's an important principle from the Gita. Mm. I was just reading today about the five factors of, yeah. of you know, what's in control yeah. of the outcome. Yeah. And our desire is just one of them. Sure. And if we try to impose or, or try to control something, it tends to go the opposite way. Yes. So I'm wondering if, if you did a little bit of that with... Uh, raising your kids, so yeah. just give them a bit of freedom and you let have them to, yeah. choose their, their spiritual path. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Srila Prabhupada actually said don't use force, right. because that won't work. You know, as you say, you know, it, it'll be resisted yeah. uh, and resented. It'll we'll, we'll do the opposite. It'll do the, yeah, it'll have the, ultimately the opposite effect. But, you know, so it, it was always a challenge trying to find different ways to cajole, to, you know, coach, to encourage without forcing. Um, uh, but at, at the end of the day, it has to come from within that person, you know, you, it has to be their choice that this is what I want to do, you know. And um, yeah, we, we did get them um, joining us for uh, our daily spiritual practices because as the kids started to get a bit older, we would do those at home. Mm. You know, it became, we, we were going to the temple and, and joining in there, but that became increasingly difficult and impossible with three children. So. We would do it at home, have a little temple room at home, and they would come and join us up to a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> and then they rebelled, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> but then they come back to it, you yeah, know. For sure. If you let them, you're okay, you know, yeah. you've got to find your own way, you know. Yeah, I, I'm from Spain, and uh, yeah. you know, Madva's wife is from Spain as well. Yeah. And I, think, um, I think Spain has some heavy karma. You know, right. when I was doing, I was studying a little bit of accounting just to try and see which career to take, which right. is definitely not me. Right. But the first thing we studied in accounting was that uh, Spain had so much wealth, mm. but they spent it all in enjoyment three right. times in history. Right. Because they had no accountants. <laughs> <laughs> so the the nature of Spain and, and a lot of places around the world is yeah. just to enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Right. And not see what's good for the country, what's mm. good for, for mm. themselves. So mm. I'm super excited to see what, what Madhva is going to do to help the spiritual situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I can't wait to help him as well. Great. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. He'll need all the help he can get. But uh, he, he's, he's trying to do something based on the Bhakti Center model of New York. Yeah. Which, which is amazing. Which is amazing, yeah. yeah. So that, that would be great. Yeah. For, the, for those of you watching that don't know, that's a project set up by Radnath Swami. Yes. Who's, who's so amazing. Yeah. And, and he's really poured his heart into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really impressed with that. 
I wanted to talk uh, about a few things, but uh, time is limited, and I wanted to go into something controversial, if that's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, this might be a little controversial around religious circles, but definitely in the world, uh, with the Me Too movement and, and so many different movements, people are starting to speak out against uh, gender equality and, and things like that. Um, my understanding from reading the Mahabharat and uh, the Ramayana is that there was actually a very high regard for women in society. And it seems that by different influences over time in India, perhaps women were considered uh, inferior to men. But now we're, we're sort of seeing that issue rise again. We're trying to, to bring that equality back. What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, equality. When we speak of equality, it has to be defined. Right. Uh, I, I mean, equal in what sense? Right. Equal physically? Well, no, of course not. They're not as strong as men, so there are certain things that men can do. I mean, some, perhaps, some of the Russian women. I heard about one who lifted a bus to get her child out. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's yeah. unusual. Right. <laughs> you know, but um, equal in... Um, you know, everyone has their role to play in society, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, unique. You know, not all men are equal in every possible way, but you know, everyone is a genius in his own way. You know, I, I forget who said that. Someone said that, and that's a fact. You know, I, I, from childhood, you're born uh, with innate abilities and, and capacities, is what I was saying earlier, yeah. and often they're suppressed right. for so many reasons. You know, you, you lose it and so you forget trauma it. And trauma and, like and bad parenting, perhaps, and you know, yeah. other things, pressures of school. The schools are terrible these days, and, <laughs> you know, pushing kids in one direction. So, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, but, but they can make a unique contribution in a specific area that someone else couldn't do. You know, if, if, you, if you ask a fish to climb a tree, you're going to think this fish is useless. You know, but if you ask a, a cat to swim across the ocean, you know, this cat's useless. The cat can climb the tree, the fish can swim. Yeah. So, you know, the worst form of ino- ino- inequality is to try to make unequal things equal. Right. You know, so we're not equal in every possible way so we just have to be aware of that it's not a problem why should it be a problem i think we get hung up because we're because of our value structures we're thinking what's important is intellect and you know or or making money um and so we're equal i can make money in the same way as a man can or i'm as intelligent in what way are you as intelligent well i can do maths or i can do science or i can do business as well as a man can do you know but that doesn't matter. You know, th- those things aren't important. What's important, first of all, the most important thing is that we're all spirit souls yeah. and we can all achieve the, the, the ultimate goal of life, man, mm-hmm. woman, or whatever, you know, can all achieve that, that goal of life equally. So that's, that's what counts. The rest of it is details. You know, a, a woman is very good at nurturing, at empathy, uh, obviously raising children, you know, uh, uh, many things like that. Um, which is her natural swabhava. You yeah, know. We, we're actually both at a wedding yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I, the current theme with, with the speakers during the wedding was, if you want to be happy in, in marriage life, just follow what the woman says. Right? <laughs> if she's happy, the whole family would be happy. Yeah. Because they, they have that nature of uh, understanding relationships better, and they're just naturally inclined to that. Yeah, they have that kind of intelligence. Yeah. Um, that's not to say they, they, they're not going to be intelligent in other ways. I mean, in schools, often they outperform the boys yeah. in exams and everything else. And that's, that's great, you know. 
But I think, you know, we have to connect with what we really are good at and what we're really meant to do, mm. our God-given nature, and act accordingly, you know, and, 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 and then we can make the best contribution to human society, whilst at the same time pursuing the ultimate goal of life, which is to get out of this place, you know, yeah. and go back to the spiritual world where we belong, you know. Would you say a good understanding is that we're all equal in the sense that we're all spiritual? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, no one's equal. Not even men no. among men, women among no. women. No. We all have a, you know, some variety, something to offer to the table. Yes. We're, and yes. to try and make everyone equal, what you've been trying to say yes. is that that's not right. That's not, everyone's it's not going to work. It's, it's not the way uh, things are set up. Uh, you know, we're not all equal. Um, in all regards, um, but you know we don't have to feel inferior because I'm a you know I'm a working class man who sweeps the streets and here's a lawyer barrister in the court, you know he's not inferior to him. On, on what basis are you going to say that yeah. he's earning more money? Okay, so what? You know as you've just said, he's a spiritual person, part of God, and so is that the barrister. And as it happens, you know in the next life. The roles could be reversed, you know, it, it's it, because we're not, the body happen, is not right? eternal, the body dies, we take another body. Bhagavad Gita explains it very clearly. Mm. Um, so why are you getting so carried away on these external designations and making such a big thing out of it? Right. You know, five minutes, we're here for five minutes, you know, in this body and then we're gone. You know, so why are you so bothered about that? Focus on what actually matters. But do what you want to do. Do what you're best at doing. You'll feel fulfilled, you know, and, and happy. It's not like, you know, women may feel um, hard done by because they've been inculcated with this value structure that they should be big earners, big achievers, big this, big that. And I can do it as good as the men. But, you know, if that was like, forget that. That's not what's important. You know, what's important is do what you want to do. Mm. You know, who really are you? You know, what, what is it that, that really is your yes? What will you know, fulfill you? What will most? fulfill you, yeah. And, and, you know, do that. And I think with women, it's, it's the nurturing things that are, are generally more their nature. Not always. These days, it's not always like that. I understand I mean, that. Just, but, you know. just from my own experience, I mean, I, obviously it doesn't compare to, to what some people are experiencing, but... When I came into this community here at Bhaktivedanta Manor, everyone's kind of really well off. Uh, everyone's, most of my friends are in accounting, finance. So I was like, okay, I need to be like them. Mm. This is what everyone's doing here. Yeah. Let me do that. Yeah. I started doing a degree in accounting and finance. Mm. I got a job in accounting and finance. Right. And I quickly realized that I was not fulfilled. It was, was definitely not for me. Yeah. And I, as, as quickly as I went into it, I, I got Came out of there. Out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I, I fully agree with that. Yeah. And um, I think this is a good time to talk about your, your current um, uh, offering to the world, yeah. which is the... Um, the Srimad Bhagavatam. The Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, is that... That's volume one. Volume one or, or the first book is called The uh, Sages of Namishan. Namishan, yeah. yeah. And am I correct to understand that the Srimad Bhagavatam is all about understanding... You know the the final test in our life. Mm. You know, 
what should we do to prepare for death and what happens after death? Is that the purpose of the Bhagavatam? That's, that's how it begins, yeah, that's really what it's about. It's, Srimad Bhagavatam actually literally translates as the beautiful science of God. Right. Um, but yes, it's, it's central um, frame of the, uh, of the uh, Mahabharata, of, of the Srimad Bhagavatam, is a conversation between uh, a king who uh, has seven days left to live, mm -hmm. uh, only he's been cursed to die within seven days by uh, a Brahmin, and, um, and then he meets this great sage called Shukadev, and as you say, he asks him that question, what should one do as he's at the threshold of death? You know? and, and so Shukadev then speaks this Srimad Bhagavatam, um, and so that's entirely relevant for everyone, because <laughs> yeah. we're all on the threshold of death. <laughs> and, you know, who can say that they're not on the threshold of death? No one. So, you know, so therefore, we need to understand this science, mm. this beautiful science and this philosophy. Um, so uh, what I've done here, or, um, with my wife actually, this is a, a joint effort with my wife oh, Chintamani, um, is uh, take the Srimad Bhagavatam and try to present it in a way which is easy to read, mm -hmm. accessible, um, helps people understand the flow uh, and the meaning, and we're serializing it. That's, that's the first part. So what, there's going to be more than 12 uh, books, I imagine. There will be, yeah. Uh, currently there's four, right. uh, and we've got to the end of the third canto. Right. Uh, I expect other cantos will be have, have to be divided, because we're trying to keep it into... Story form? Kind of, yes, it's a retelling. Um, something like the Mahabharata. Although Srimad Bhagavatam doesn't lend itself so much to a kind of novelization in the same way that the Mahabharata or even the Ramayana does. It's much more philosophical, long philosophical uh, sections and prayers and things like that. Initially, I mean, I've been working on this for nearly 20 years. and wow. <laughs> It's gone through several incarnations. Mm -hmm. I completed it. And then I wasn't happy, so I started again. That sounds like a James Cameron project. <laughs> yeah, it really is, yeah. I mean, I've rewritten it two or three times, you know. Wow. Um, because I, I wasn't happy with it, you know, when I first did it. Yeah. Uh, and initially I tried to summarize and, you know, just kind of capture whole chapters in a few paragraphs. And eventually I've come down to like, oh, no, I want to present the whole thing, a verse-by-verse -verse rendition, but at the same time dramatizing it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, making it accessible and enjoyable. But it, it must be more philosophical and slightly more of a challenging read than the Mahabharata yeah. because that's the nature of the original, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, Now, am I yeah. correct to understand that you've added a little something to make it easier to understand? Is there a certain perspective um, that goes along with the books? Or? Yes. I mean, well, what we've done is, um, you see, the Bhagavatam itself really is it's like just a few brush strokes here and there. Right. And, and the background detail and the context of what's going on is left to your imagination. So we've done that. We've imagined, you know, the, if you like, um, the scenes and why, like, for example, the most recent one we did was a, contained a conversation between Devahuti, who's a princess, mm -hmm. and a sage called Karadama, whom she married. Um, and, and then uh, actually... Her son, Kapila, a divine incarnation, instructed her. So the Bhagavatam doesn't really tell you why Devahuti was asking the questions she asked and what was driving her. So, you know, we, we, we really did a lot of research into that, into the, you know, looking for little clues and hints in the text. And There's different commentaries. And, and commentaries by other, um, yes, by, by great teachers of the past 
So then we're able to extrapolate the, the drama and the scene and the emotions, you know, yeah. um, from the philosophy, but keeping the philosophy intact. Wow. Trying at least throughout, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's going to make uh, reading the Bhagavatam so much easier for so, well, many, hopefully, yeah. I mean, so many youth and so many people. That's that the point, yeah. They don't have time to. They don't have time or the inclination. Read the 18, verses. They don't have the inclination. You know, I, I saw with my own children, they weren't reading the Srimad Bhagavatam. So I thought, well, can I do something that might help them, might attract them more that's, to, to, that's to read it? That's such a nice you know? inspiration. Like, um, the reason why I got into film in the first place was watching um, not the Lord of the Rings, but watching how Peter Jackson made the Lord of the Rings. That's what yeah. got me inspired to get into film. And uh, one of the things he says is that he makes the movie that he wants to watch. Mm. He's not so much concerned about you know what every single person right. wants it to be. Right. And it's so nice to hear that yeah. you uh, wanted to make a book just for your children to read. And then yeah. if, if yeah. everyone... Yeah, else, uh, if anyone else benefits, yeah. all well and good, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, we're really trying also to get people to realize the profundity and the value, uh, and the power of the Bhagavatam, so they'll go and read the original. Yeah. You know, Prabhupada's original and, you know, get the benefit there. You know. That's amazing. We're not trying to replace that by any means. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, yeah. Just, a, yeah. just something, a little yeah. taster. Yeah, a little to, taster, to, yeah. Uh, Exactly, yeah. Um, I think my, my last question for today uh, will be, I, I mentioned a little bit about film. Do you think these uh, amazing history books and, and stories would, would come out good in, in, in the theatres, well, in the cinema? It's a challenge. I mean, I think, yes, definitely, if someone um, handled it nicely. Uh, at least the Mahabharata has been, there have been some attempts previously, I think in India at least. Um, <laughs> Funnily enough, Not someone. Not too satisfying. No, I've been approached. I mean, I must have been approached, uh, you know, four or five times at least, maybe more, by people who wanted to make a film of the Mahabharata and so right, would like right. to get your advice on it. And even right now, someone is, is just recently contacted me and wants to meet with me in London and, you know, <laughs> is talking about it and could I help being like the, you know, editorial kind of director or advisor for, sure, for, sure. for, a, for a Mahabharata film, you know. So. Um, Maybe that'll happen one day, but uh, yeah, I, 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 and actually there is one being made, I think in South India right now, someone's mm -hmm. investing, a, I heard, a billion dollars or something, or wow. know, rupees or whatever, a huge amount of money, some um, um, Indian, yeah. Indian billionaire is, fi is funding it. So, um, but the thing about the Mahabharata and the characters is, like Srila Prabhupada said, that you have to be careful because you can't, uh, you know, Krishna, uh, and the Pandavas, his devotees, um, are, are not like us in the sense that they're driven by the same kind of base emotions and sensuality and desires that often drive us. Mm. You know, they're on another kind of level. So to convey that in film, because often you find that Hollywood has its own kind of... Spin on things. Yeah, its own imperatives. That, you know, it has to include a bit of, you know, romance of the, you know, generally... <laughs> less than, you know, pure variety and so on yeah. and, and, and that kind of thing, you know, so they'll, they'll, they'll want to insert that kind of thing. So if it goes into their hands, I think it would be dodgy. But if it could be, if it could retain the editorial integrity, um, then it would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was inspired by Lord of the Rings because I, I saw that that kept a quite a high level of virtuosity, you know, because the person who wrote it was, a, was obviously a, a serious Christian, Tolkien, yeah. you know. 
Uh, and so it didn't have any of, of those, you know, dodgy kind of scenes in it at all, you know. And they managed to retain that in, in the presentation of the film. So that yeah. it can be done, you know. I'm super excited about this and yeah. see how we can do it. I definitely have a dream that, you know, one day, whether it's myself or, or someone else, yeah. will uh, we'll sort of make maybe, you know, films about specific characters or yeah. uh, with similar teachings. Yeah. And that one day, you know, kids around the world will, will you know, yeah. be very familiar with these stories and maybe yeah. even play with little Krishna and Arjun. Uh, oh, it'll come, yeah, that'll come, yeah, yeah. So that, that'll definitely come. Because I love, uh, like, for example, um, this month has been all about uh, Game of Thrones and the Avengers. It's like the two biggest hits. Right. Both of them have spent half a billion, uh, ten years of uh, right. people's times. They've, you know, they spent a lot. Yeah. And um, they've made them yeah. pretty well. But it feels like there's something missing. It feels mm. like there's something more to life than mm. just, yeah. you know, this emotional story. And I believe that the Mahabharata has... Uh, it's got has the substance. As yeah, I was yeah. saying earlier, it's got the spiritual basis. Yeah, for sure. You know, it connects with the soul, you know, which those other films don't do, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and what I'm hoping is that if there's any studios or producers out there watching this, that they <laughs> might get in touch with us. Get inspired, yeah. <laughs> get a little inspired to, to share these stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I India and its culture haven't really burst onto the Western scene yet so far, you know. Right. Like, you look at these things like the Avengers and what have you, it's all, you know, elements of ancient Greece or Nordic, you yeah. know, mythology. And that's kind of a part of our culture, you know, the classics. It's part of the, the Western thing. But India has kind of got left out a bit and it's got so much to offer, mm. you know, and all these other traditions come out of the ancient Indian tradition, in fact. For sure. The Sanskrit writings, you know, Tolkien was inspired by you know, Mahabharata and, mm. and the Ramayana, which he read, because he was a classicist and stuff, you know. Wow. Um, so India's got so much to offer, which, you know, the world is yet to see, you know, yeah. so let's hope we get to see that. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that's been going through my head this whole time is that I've been listening to hours and hours of you reading these audiobooks, right. and now I'm hearing to that same <laughs> that same voice live right now. So okay. I'm, I'm super, super grateful that yeah. you've been on the show. Um, yeah, my pleasure. I hope that the audience uh, finds it useful and meaningful. Yeah, and so do I. It's called The Inspire Show, so hopefully they feel inspired to <laughs> read some of these books, to yeah. apply some of the teachings in their life. Yeah. If, uh, if people want to get a uh, hold of your books or the audiobooks... They're all on Amazon. Amazon, you'll find everything. Amazon, everything's yeah, there. It's all there, yeah. Right. Um, and if, if someone wants to get in touch with you, is there, is there any way? They can do that through the website. Uh, the website or is it krishnadharma.com? Krishnadharma.com. I'm on Facebook. There's Krishnadharma right. page. It's actually yeah. called that. You know, so you can, <laughs> you can get me through there. It's amazing. I, I personally follow you on, on social media. On Twitter, yeah. Yeah, and it's, you always have these little wisdom nuggets, which are mostly from the Mahabharata. Yeah, Mahabharata, Ramayana, Ramayan. different places. Yeah, Shuma do you want Mahabharata. to share a, a quote for, for today that we'll, we'll stay with everyone and we'll um, finish with that? What's, what's the latest one that I, I put up? Uh, I put one up this morning, I think. I can't remember what it was. Um, that, uh, yeah, that... Um, uh, Sorry to put you on the spot. No, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to remember it. Uh, all, all, all meeting ends in parting. Um, all life ends in death. Um, all happiness ends in sorrow. Therefore, seek only the eternal. 
That's from the wow. Wild Heart. <laughs> wow, and I, I think that's good to end with that. Yeah. Um, guys, definitely read the books, listen to the audiobooks, um, follow Christian Dharma on social media. And thank you so much for tuning in today. Okay, let's dive into some of Christian Dharma Pooh's books now. I mean, I'm halfway through the Mahabharata now, so I've got a lot of reading to do. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you.